The Superpowers of the Soul Channel is brought to you by Superpower Experts. Visit superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers today. You're listening to Superpowers of the Soul with Tonya Dawn Rackler and the Superpower Experts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Superpowers of the Soul. This is Amorakai, and I am absolutely delighted to be here today and to welcome back our wonderful guest, Rabbi Matthew Ponak, who has so graciously returned to continue our conversation that we started last episode to talk about how to safely expand consciousness. Matthew is a teacher of Jewish mysticism, a spiritual counselor, and the co-founder of the Makora Institute. Ordained with honors as a rabbi at the Neo-Hasidic Rabbinical School of Hebrew College, he also holds a master's degree in contemplative religions from Naropa University. He is certified as a focusing professional to guide others to deeper self-knowledge and healing, and he is also the author of Embodied Kabbalah, Jewish Mysticism for All People. We are so happy to welcome Matthew back to the show today to continue our conversation. In the last episode, Matthew and I got to talking about reversing burnout, a super important topic right now because of how fast the burnout trend is growing, and especially on the heels of all the stress and uncertainty from recent global conditions. And so Matthew delivered so much practical wisdom on that show. I highly encourage you to check it out if you hadn't had a chance to listen yet. But he delivered so much that I asked him to record a part two episode as well so that we could dive just as deeply into this topic that kind of came up, but we didn't get to explore fully, which I also feel is so very important, but maybe a little less easy to find people talking about. And so without any further ado, Matthew, welcome back to the show. I'm so glad you're here again. Thanks so much, Morikai. It's great to be in communication with you again. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for making the time to record a part two episode. I'm so excited. I'm really excited actually to be talking with you today about this topic, how to safely expand consciousness. I just feel like you'll be able to shed some really cool light on this subject. And so, you know, before we dive right into it, I just love to open to, to ask you why you care about this particular topic. Why is it important for you to be here talking about how to safely expand consciousness with us today? For me, if I had encountered a teaching around this when I was a teenager, I would have saved myself and my family a whole lot of headache. I was like a moth to flame when I was a teenager and I was burnt by these spiritual fires. (laughs) in a way that no one warned me about. I didn't know it was possible to expand one's consciousness too quickly. And since I have learned about those teachings after I already got myself into a fair (laughs) amount of trouble, I have felt very deeply about the importance of this topic for anyone engaging in a spiritual or mystical quest. And just in general, people should know that there is such a thing as hitting the brakes in the spiritual path. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to do, just like hitting the brakes while we're driving. Oh, see, I knew you would be the perfect person to have this conversation with. Yes, I can relate to, oh, I don't know, all of that. (laughs) And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. You know, 
Yeah, looking back at my younger self, I'm so grateful that we get to participate in this offering today and have this conversation that I'm sure uh, will really serve and will really help others. And through, I too wish I'd been readily available growing up and experiencing some of the things I did. But also, and just as importantly now, as a mother in the world on this planet today and as a, a, a friend to other parents and mothers and fathers of all kinds, raising children in the world today that are that are exploring themselves and that are feeling called to spiritual paths and adventures, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to co-create this with you today and have that out in the world for them. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Well, as uh, as I, I'm sure it's very apparent, I can't wait to hear all you have to share about it. And folks, I definitely am going to ask Matthew to share a little bit more about that story of his. So stay <laughs> tuned for that. I think it's going to be very juicy. Uh, I think it's going to be an extremely rich and valuable conversation. I'm excited to dive in. So let's go ahead. We'll take our short break now uh, so we don't have to interrupt this juicy conversation. Before we do that, Matthew, can you share with us the best place for us to send people to find out more about you and connect with you? Absolutely. My website, matthewponak.com, and also my Facebook professional page, which is Rabbi Matthew Ponak. Super. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure those links are on the show page for you, everyone. Okay. You are listening to Superpowers of the Soul here on the Superpower Network, and we will be right back to get deep into how to safely expand consciousness with Rabbi Matthew Ponak in just a moment. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today. Welcome back, everyone. This is Amora Kai. And if you're just tuning in, today we are talking with Rabbi Matthew Ponak about how to safely expand consciousness. And okay, just before the break, you know, we were talking about why this topic is so important to you, Matthew, and you you shared about how wonderful it would have been to have had something like this in your teenage years. Um, you you mentioned you were like a moth to the flame on this path, and you definitely got a little burnt. I can relate to that. And so I am really genuinely eager to hear everything you have to share about this. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit more of your story around that, if you don't mind starting a little bit more at the beginning before we expand on on things like what exactly is this this idea of expanding consciousness and why might we want to expand it in the first place let's start with your first calling in your teenage years and experience around this if you're willing absolutely well i grew up in a fairly let's say secular household it was jewish i had a bar mitzvah initiation rites you know into adulthood but it was very much a cultural experience we didn't talk so much about mysticism at the family dinner table, let's say. And <laughs> I, when I was a teenager, I was 16 and I sort of wandered into this class about spirituality, about Jewish spirituality taught by someone uh, from the modern Orthodox world. And she was really compelling. And just being in that first class, it was like a part of me woke up. I had a, a this deep interest and 
cultivating insight and spiritual wisdom that I just didn't even know was there because I'd never encountered it before. So a few years or even two years into that journey, I'd been going to more of those classes, reading tons of books, you know, praying and meditating and having some spiritual moments. I ended up at a seminary, a it's called a yeshiva in Hebrew in Israel. I was 18 years old. And this was a place, it was sort of like a Jewish ashram. People were praying three, three and a half hours a day. They were studying sacred texts about 10, 12 hours a day, perhaps. And this is an ecstatic practice. It wasn't so mm -hmm. subtle. It was very much a deep cultivation of wisdom. And it could be elating. There was a certain sense of bliss that came from that. And I decided I didn't need to sleep so much and eat so much. And I was basically <laughs> trying to become at the young age of 18, some kind of Jewish saint, which in Hebrew is a tzaddik. But I, I wasn't grounded. I didn't know about pacing. I didn't know about taking care of my body. I didn't know anything about emotional intelligence. And so in my mind, the more bliss, the better. And I happened to be someone, it seemed biochemically, who was relatively well-suited to getting elated from these kinds of practices. But I, as I was saying before, it was like a moth to flame. Sometimes the divine spirit, God, all of these words, uh, they're associated with fire. That's one of the dominant metaphors in, in Judaism. And it is possible to get burned. And so I actually pushed it too far and it was fairly dramatic. I had a break with reality. I went to such a degree that I stopped being able to properly process what I was experiencing and had something akin to a psychotic episode. Really, I lost touch with regular sanity. And I ended up in a psych ward, had to go back to my home in Calgary, Alberta. And it took me a long time to figure out what had even happened to to return back to my baseline functioning and well-being it was a really let's say along the spectrum of what can happen to a person when they don't slow down it was among the more extreme examples i really really lost track with mental health and well-being and it took me let's say a couple of months to kind of get back to baseline reality and a couple of years to really recover uh into uh my full functionality and it took an even longer amount of time to really figure out what had happened and to learn deeply that it was possible to trigger that kind of experience through spiritual practice that is not coupled with any sense of integration or groundedness or physical well-being. Oh, there's just so much there. I'm so grateful to you for speaking that story. And it is so uh, well, it's relatable on so many levels. But myself personally, but so many people I talk to know of a similar experience or have had similar experiences, even if not to that extreme. I can imagine what that must have been like, not just for you at the right old age of 18, but for your friends and family surrounding you. What was that like? in your family dynamic, in your community? Well, I, I'm fortunate um, in my upbringing that I had a very close community and a very supportive family. So it was difficult. And I you know, saw some of my very close friends, for example, during the time when I was most, let's say, detached from ordinary reality. Yeah. And they remember it to this day, that it was disturbing for them to such a degree. They were 
spending time with me, basically like respite workers for my dad, who was my primary caregiver during that time. But they, it was, it was rattling for them and, and it was really hard on my father and it, he, because of him and my brothers and my mother and my stepmother, I came through it, uh, but they had to carry quite a weight during that time. So it, it still comes up in conversation from time to time, if you know what I mean. I've obviously I've moved on from that phase uh, very well, and it was it was a hard time for a lot of them. And I I am very grateful for all they all they put in to help me. And my hope is to help people and their families avoid this situation in the first place. Amazing. And were they able to talk to you in the language of? spirituality and consciousness and, and things like that at this time like what what was the main story of what they felt was happening surrounding at this time or is that something you sort of came to a little bit later in mindset or was it at the time well i would say that they were happy when i was really really in the throes of it they were happy if they could talk to me in the language of anything <laughs> you know I, mean? Fair enough. I was i was in another world uh right. hallucinations and delusions and all of that Wow. And okay. so they were happy if they could get me to go for a walk without me talking about some, you know, other reality I was encountering yeah. in that moment and yeah. those kinds of things. But beyond that, there was more, I was really getting into the biomedical model, which I do have a lot of gratitude for. I'm not someone who believes it's one way or the other. I think that yeah. sometimes the psychiatry, the standard, if you will, of the you know, medication and and this cognitive behavioral therapy approaches can be exactly what a person needs in a certain phase. And I'm not opposed to that at all. But just to say, uh, the first few years of me kind of interacting with this experience was very much in the biomedical model. There wasn't a spiritual component to it until I found a particular healer who introduced me to this very wise world of transpersonal psychology. It's a relatively newer branch of psychology, but it specializes in mysticism. And there's a whole world of how to help people who are having what they call spiritual emergencies. So it's a, a very well thought out, researched, utilized method or series of methods for helping people just like me wow. integrate and be cautious and be wise if something like this happens and also to prevent it from happening in the first place. Oh, I love this. So many places to go. You have no idea. I'm so happy to have this conversation. I have spoken to so many people about this at various ages and stages of their lives. And to, to have a conversation that, that not just normalizes and, and offers hope, but seeks, you know, to give wisdom so that people can recognize it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's me. That's me. That's helpful. Okay. So looking back, what well, there's a couple of different places to go. I'll start here. What do you wish you had known back then that you feel in hindsight could have saved you some of that learning? What are the most important things that you really didn't know that in hindsight you wish you? I think the basics are one, there's a time to stop a spiritual practice if it's <laughs> leading to something that feels good. It sounds really counterintuitive, doesn't it? But I had to learn later, which really helped me going forward. But 
wow, okay, so I just spent an hour praying at this seminary. And now I'm having this experience like the divine is everywhere and at all moments. That's interesting. Wow. That's, it was like a wonderful moment. A wonderful, really, it lasted, let's say, half an hour of just God is interfacing with us at each moment. And I had this sense of bliss around me. So what I could have used in that moment was fantastic. You should probably stop doing that practice for a while until you return to your baseline. That's a simple, simple thing to be doing, but no one had told me that. And so I kept on going. It was There's a certain greed we can feel in spirituality. I want more and I want more. And especially when we're younger, it can be hard to even understand how long these processes really take. So there's a sense of urgency. So that's, that's one. And I, another one is how often, I wish someone had asked me, when you're trying to ascend this mystical ladder or attain this experience of oneness or bliss, are you doing it purely to know God or are you doing it partly to avoid your emotions? <laughs> and and I would that would have really stunned me to hear at that age, but I had to learn later on that I had this whole emotional world that I didn't know how to deal with. Because yes. I had never learned what it meant to just listen to my emotion and to let it, you know, express itself and to it, it courses through you and it, it it tells you things and it's helpful, but I had been spending more time playing video games and watching TV than I had been really understanding the depths of my own, let's say, teenage torments. And so <laughs> I, I wish I had kind of understood that similarity there. And the last fundamental piece is the more you take care of your body, the more likely you are to be able to handle these moments in the first place. So Though you might have read in a book somewhere that it's, if you want to be a tzaddik, a Jewish saint, you know, this profound mystic, you have to not sleep much and not eat much and don't do that. Because <laughs> you're, I, maybe one day you could do that, but you're definitely not ready and, and maybe you never will be. And that's fine because you have other responsibilities to your family, let's say. And the more you avoid physical health and, and risk this kind of negative experience, the more they're going to be picking up the pieces afterwards. Of so much goodness. I agree wholeheartedly with you, and also especially in the Indian emotional field. And I find that so often people, it's the hardest one for whatever reason, and it could just be current culture and societal norms uh, that, are, that are prevalent in various parts of the world that don't have a huge place for understanding or honoring or expressing. Um, validating in different ways emotional energy i think that for so many of us there's a lot of story there's a lot of shame there's a lot of fear there's a lot of repression and suppression um that we've all learned in in, in different in different ways growing up you know over the past let's say 100 years or so but that relationship developing that level of emotional intelligence, the capacity to be in right relation with your ability to flow emotional energy, to read it, to understand the information of it, to um, allow it movement instead of blockage and suppression and, to, and, and fear running away from it. I find that it strengthens and opens up channels of groundedness and power and depth yeah, in the most amazing way. And if we don't have that, 
exactly what you're talking about has more of a chance to happen. Similarly, just like what you're saying about the physical world, I've known so many people that are trying to go so far in the mental, spiritual, and even emotional worlds, and they don't want to bring their physical body along. It's like their version of ascension means I get to get up out of this thing finally and just sort of flow away from it and leave all this heaviness and burden and, and you know, uh, mundaneness behind it. But we can only go so far as we allow our physical body, right? We have to take the long, not just for the ride, but care for it. And for that we have one base. Uh, and foundation from which to explore and enjoy what we see. Love what you're saying. Thanks. Yeah, the there's a sense that in many ways our culture, I don't want to say it's a bypass culture because that's I think a, not doing it justice. But there's a lot of bypassing that's taught that mm-hmm. it is not uncommon for kids. These days, perhaps, but certainly, so I was born in the 80s, and I think it it was not uncommon for kids to, whether they learned it explicitly or not, to learn that if they're not feeling good, they should distract themselves. Mm -hmm. They should turn on that TV or whatever. It wasn't taught how much we can learn from our negative experiences, for example. Mm -hmm. So think about that mindset and how it becomes, how it blossoms, let's say in a spiritual life of a teenager or a young adult or whatever. It's the same basic assumption, which is I'm going to entertain myself or reach some beautiful reality and I can just leave all that behind for a while. It's not really in the long-term adaptive. And I understand that a lot of it comes from trauma. A lot of it comes from pain and lack of understanding of that pain. And it's it's really, it's important to share these understandings because there's there's a lot we're missing. If our spiritual lives are essentially some version of distraction or transcendence of the other personal inner heart work that we all have to do because we're all human. We all have pain. We all have limitations. And and the the holistic path is really about working in all of those levels. We don't have to exclude the transcendence, but we need to include the body health and the emotional awareness that that really balance that out. If we're going to be a blessing for people here and not just someone who can ascend a mountain and maybe, you know, yell down to others <laughs> from up there, that they're really to be of service. And Judaism, which is largely a lot of this inspiration comes from, let's say, transpersonal psychology. But my book, Embodied Kabbalah, essentially, it's when I discovered these teachings within Jewish mysticism. And so Judaism is a householder path. We don't have monks. We have people, all of our spiritual teachers, generally speaking, had families and jobs or dependents and and duties. And if Mm -hmm. you're, you know, knocking yourself out with a spiritual experience, you're not able to be responsible for much. Uh, And it's, so there's a lot of teachings about how to be a holy householder, how to be a bridge between the beyond and the everyday. And that's, Mm. that's what a lot of this comes down to. I love that. You know, many, many, many years ago, so many years ago, goodness, <laughs> decades ago, I trained in uh, in yoga for many years um, to be a teacher, trainer, and a meditation teacher. We were encouraged to explore all kinds of lineages. And one of the paths at the time, you know, I was, 
I was really dedicated to having a family one day. I knew myself to be a mother and a householder and, and, and part of a family and certainly married. And uh, I was I was in the beginnings of that. And when I was reading so much American texts and, and across many traditions and noticing this theme of up the mountain I go and in the cave I go and alone I go and withdrawing from the world I go to achieve these, these states, the one that stood out for me at the time was Kundalini Yoga only because it was known as a very simple thing, Kausundra Yoga. And it was it was for everybody. And it was for those leading families and those holding down jobs and those holding the responsibilities of the world without and, and bringing sort of that idea of the mountain down to the home. And I loved that. I loved it. For everything we're talking about here today, it really resonated with me. So I'd love to circle back and just talk about, foundationally speaking, you know, just help to find some terms here for the audience, just for our purposes today. What do we mean when we say consciousness? And what do we mean when we say, you know, expanding consciousness in the first place? What does that mean to you? So I would say, first of all, these are very hard words to define. So I will give a personal <laughs> definition. When I say that, yeah. there is a feeling or an experience people can have, and it can happen through spiritual practice, but it can also happen just sort of seemingly from beyond or, or walking, you know, in the woods or gardening or what have you. But it is a an experience, a peak experience, an experience where it feels like whether it's emotionally or visually or physically or with our hearing sense or anything, that there's something we tap into that is beyond a normal moment. And it can really come in almost limitless forms, but it's the idea that our normal awareness that most of us are walking through the world with is just a part of our potential to experience the world. And so a mystic in that sense is someone who intentionally cultivates opening up their awareness to more expanded perspectives or more expanded experiences. And so in in an in a sense the idea of expanded consciousness is a synonym for spirituality. <laughs> the spiritual mm -hmm. path is about and whether that's inner awareness or whether that's awareness of let's say different layers of reality you might talk about in a, a tradition like Kabbalah it's about moving beyond and seeing beyond and in Jewish mysticism integrating and living beyond where we currently are. Mm. I love it. All right. Beautiful. And I know you've given us so much already. I mean, those pathways for traveling safely, <laughs> you know, imply that there, there are many ways to not travel safely. I love, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I love how you've already touched on so much, uh, especially the mental health required, you know, the emotional intelligence, the support, and also the physical health and groundedness. And, and you touched on something about time. And I think that's worth talking about just a little bit more, because I know that my sense of time, certainly, as has most people that I've spoken with over the years, it simply changes over the years, doesn't it? And when we're young, it feels like now is forever, right? And and nothing is temporary and everything is permanent. And there's this sense of urgency and the, there's a sense of impatience a lot of the time. And sort of as we traverse, I've noticed that it feels like it could be lifetimes and I could 
sit for a long time and and I can handle these waves a little bit more. But for someone who's in that younger sect, regardless of their age, you know, maybe it's happening at 17 or 70, that's that's fair. But these different experiences of time, can you speak to how to work with time safely on this road, how we can start to think about it and perceive it, regardless of where we we currently actually are? Well, here's a perspective that might be challenging for some people, depending on how they understand ideas like enlightenment. But this, what I'm going to share right now isn't about how we judge time. It's really about how we judge the goal and what we're moving towards in the first place. And that perspective is there's no end to the spiritual journey. <laughs> and we can always grow more. We can always integrate more. We can always refine ourselves. We can always perceive more. And if that's the case, which that's my, I guess you could say opinion or my theology of mysticism. But mm-hmm. if that's the case, then there's no faster or slower. Like, where are you going? You're going where to the next going? place. And in order to move and in order to grow, you actually have to take time to integrate. If you're just trying to go up and up and up, you're actually not going to go up. You're going to get stuck. And that's just the nature of it. And so if there's no final destination, then Mm -hmm. any step we take is just within this great possibility. And then the question isn't, how quickly can I get there? The question becomes, what's next? And sometimes what's next is taking a break or sometimes what's next is having fun because I've become too serious about my spirituality or sometimes what's next is going forward, but it's actually about navigating the next parts and not so much about reaching some imagined final place. Mm. Everybody tasting the freedom in that? Everybody (laughs) tasting the relaxation in that? The enjoyment in that? The pleasure in that? Oh, just so good. Just so good. I love that. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And so helpful. I mean, that's really, really helpful. I used to call it the retirement myth. (laughs) 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 Now some people would be like, And there, I will say just looping it back to the last conversation we had, I think this sense of oasis time or Shabbat, the sense of, you know, celebration for all we have and a sense of completion. If we have a regular practice of that, however often it is, that's retirement, if you know what I'm saying. That's the final destination. And we can tap into that whenever we like. In fact, we can use that these methods of delight and of surrounding ourselves with people we love, doing things we love, you know, all of that. And that is that taste of that infinity, that taste of that bounty in paradise. And that's enlightenment as far as I'm concerned. And it really is available to us whenever we take the time to to set that time aside, to set it up, and we can return to the journey afterwards knowing that that's there for us and that's that's attainable and we can actually literally taste it um, as part of our overall journey. Yes, yes. I love that part about what you have to share because sometimes I I wonder what we think about that rest you know so so much of us i i find sometimes it's very confused the idea between rest deep rest and entertainment very different things but mm-hmm. also the idea that that rest and deep rest and, and integrative practices have to exclude fun 
and pleasure and gathering and celebration. Like it's some, again, a very ascetic kind of solo withdrawal from the world as opposed to being more engaged and being around that table and celebrating the love and the life and and even, you know, practices like dance and singing and celebration and song. It's, it's very potent. It's very powerful. And it's such a part of it. And I'm so grateful you speak to it and you include it here in that way. For sure. Yeah, it it really doesn't have to be overly serious. And it's really about what people are needing. That's yeah. why this, you know, in the same way that people are often encouraged these days to find spiritual practices which work for them and ways of calming or transforming. I think people should find ways of being restful and celebrating that work for them. Some people really need to spend some time alone because they're introverted and that's refreshing for them or what have you. And yeah. some people really crave fun in their lives. And so why not incorporate that? The one place I'm cautious about is screens and, and those kinds of distractions and how that can take us really quickly out of a restful place if we're not mm -hmm. careful. So I, I tend to emphasize uh, ways of having fun or celebrating that is more in person. <laughs> Yeah, as much as possible. But yeah. it's all it's all part of the potential. Really, it's about having a goal for mm. what we want to cultivate and finding the most useful tools to get there. Mm. Sounds so simple. Sounds so simple. <laughs> yeah. The work of a lifetime can be summarized in one sentence, perhaps. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, this is such a juicy, rich conversation. And it really is a very, uh, a very... I, I feel the energy of this is just a, a very, per, not like you're granting permission, but it feels very permissive. It feels like, oh, oh yes, you know, oh, I, I've been wanting that. I've been contemplating that. That feels so good. And it just feels like it, it, it allows us to look through a different lens at these things and be in a, a different kind of relationship with it than where we started, which is more of a, a sort of seeking, accomplishing, uh, you know. Um, burning <laughs> like a rocket right. ship, burning up the fuel towards something that maybe doesn't exist the way we think it does. I, I find it so freeing, so freeing on so many levels. You know, thinking of someone listening to this, thinking of that 18-year-old boy you were, thinking of all the people I, I know you've served and worked with over the years and all the stories I'm sure you've heard. Is there anything else you really feel inspired to share about this before we begin to, to sort of wrap up the episode today. Is there anything really present for you? Yeah, it's how to say this in the language of mythology, which is such a big part of Jewish mysticism, is how can we communicate these ideas using the characters and the heroes from the world of old? And it's we're recording this right before Passover, and so much of what we've talked about today has to do with elements of that story. So one key part, there's a teaching in my book, Embodied Kabbalah, that describes Moses when he's basically a shepherd and suddenly he becomes a prophet. He sees the burning bush and the way this teaching is, it interprets it like he goes one stage at a time. First, he sees this strange fire. Then he encounters the voice of an angel. And then it says in that moment that his consciousness is strengthened. It's not just expanded, but it's expanded and then it integrates. Like he takes a moment <laughs> and he actually strengthens his mind to move up to the next level, which is to hear the, the divine voice, to be a prophet, to speak to God. And that, and again, he has this strengthening of consciousness. And so even Moses, who in Judaism is considered 
the greatest prophet takes time to go from stage to stage and to integrate in order to be able to see and to understand these brighter lights. And the other piece, the sort of the, the contemplative piece, the part about going deep into ourselves and understanding and emotional intelligence building, the dominant metaphor for a lot of that in Judaism has to do with being enslaved in Egypt. And the idea that the Israelites get enslaved in Egypt for a long time, many generations, but after that, they are able to basically receive divine revelation. They receive the Torah on Mount Sinai. And so a lot of the mystics look and say, well, sometimes we actually have to go into constriction. We have to go into difficult places in order to refine ourselves and to grow from that. And so if a person keeps those things in mind, the idea that we're going to grow slowly in our relationship to what lies beyond and also understand that our emotions don't need to be hidden from. We don't need to avoid them. That if we can approach our emotional world, our inner world from a resourced place, we can learn and grow. And it's not just about undoing it. It's actually about transforming ourselves through relating to it and reaching a higher place at the end. Mm. Well, that's a mic drop as far as I'm concerned. Love it. Thank you. Brilliant. And I love how you weave in <laughs> stories that we know that we can relate to, that we can think about, and they take root in us at so many different levels. It's not just a mental exercise then. I find, you know, my imaginative faculties are now engaged. My subconscious is seeing in visions and pictures and stories, and I'm not just hearing words for contemplation. I'm, I'm having a lived experience at the level of cellular intelligence mm -hmm. as I'm, right, playing with these offerings you've given here today. Oh, I knew it would be a rich conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you returning to the show to, to get deeper into this specific piece that we just really didn't have time to explore fully in the first episode. We recorded together, just as importantly, talking about reversing that burnout. So I so appreciate how generously you just share your time and your very practical wisdom, Matthew. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Amor, for having me on today. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend, anytime. All right, everyone. And thank you all for joining us today too. As always, I hope today's episode serves your highest possible good and that it inspires you to travel even more safely along your own road of expanding consciousness. And of course, anytime we're talking about expansion is a great time to talk about what's new in the superpower universe, such as CIFA. CIFA stands for Creative Energy Field Activation. And if you have not yet gifted yourself a free CIFA experience, please head on over to superpowerexperts.com to learn more about it today. Until next time, keep unlocking your own superpowers of the soul and put them to great use, creating a life and a world you love. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. Go now to superpowerexperts.com to unlock your superpowers and change your life today.